Hello, Julian. Hi, Mike. Hey, Mike, what's a microaggression? I have no idea. I'm not too sure either, but I know someone who does. Yeah? Yeah, it's the wonderful Jannica Patel. Let's get her on. Yeah, let's get her in. Hi, I'm Mike Brampton. And my name is Julian Ho. Welcome to Veterinary Ramblings. Hi, Janika. Calling Janika. Hello. How are you guys? Excellent. Really good. How are you? Good. I'm good. I'm good, thank you. Good. Janika, thank you so much for joining us. Mm. Um, Have you seen any episodes or listened to any episodes of Veterinary Ramblings? I have. I have. Um, So so you've got no excuse. You know what you're getting. Yeah. (laughs) Which ones have you listened to? Um, I've listened to Fabian's when it came out because I follow him. And then in preparation for this, I was like, right, I need to get into it. So I've listened to a few. I've seen like your 60 second CPDs on Instagram and stuff. So that's brilliant. Brilliant. We'll get into that later. Yeah. Cool. So you're one of our more thorough students then? Yeah, well, okay. I like to know what I'm getting myself into. (laughs) <laughs> um, but no, I've I've sort of had you guys on my radar for a couple of months now since you guys popped up on my Instagram, and then yeah, I yeah, the, the, we, I'm we, really we enjoying borrow, your podcast. We, we, you, we burrow yeah. beneath people's consciousness, and then suddenly <laughs> spring out. Oh yeah, let's do that. <laughs> That's Wait. fantastic. I, I I understand, Janika, that um, it, it 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 sort of puts the wrong spin on it to a certain extent for me to say that you were one of my students once. I, I think, yeah, I was back in... But, um, but only for, only probably for one lesson at Nottingham University. Yeah. I, I, I've got to be honest, Mike, I can't remember exactly <laughs> what that was. <laughs> I'm so, so sorry. I should have done more homework and gone back. I'm like, yes. Mike, you taught me this lecture, and I remember it so well. This is what you taught me, but I'm afraid that I... The, the, the thing is, he's taught you so well that it's almost subliminal now. It's part of your DNA. The lecture is now mm-hmm. you know, genetically imprinted on you mm-hmm. in some metagenomic way. I'm sorry, Janika, I didn't mean to put you on the spot like that. No, most, pe- okay. most people forget my lectures anyway, so it's, not, oh, it's no. nothing new. Please, please remind me, what was it? Uh, it would have been on blood pressure. It would have been on practical blood pressure, and just to make you feel even better, it will have been in your second ever term. So you'll have just come back from your first break after that incredibly intensive first term where not only are you trying to learn about being a vet, you're also trying to learn about being a student. You've moved away from home and you've got all of those intense pressures on you. And then I expect you to start taking blood pressure on cats. Yeah, that was... It's a big ask. It's a big ask. To be fair, all of of vet schools are complete blur to me. When is it I really? look back at it, honestly, it is. I'm like, I'm at that point in my career where I'm in e- nearly an equal amount of time out of vet school that I was in. And okay. it's just yep. scary to think that soon I'm going to surpass the amount of time that I spent, spent in vet school. But it, in some ways, it seems such a short amount of time mm-hmm. in, in the short period of my life. But in other ways, it's like it, it dragged. <laughs> What, what gets worrying, Janika, is when, like me, you uh, you get a new employee, a new vet, 
and his date of birth is the year you qualified. <laughs> I say I can't empathise with that just yet. But... Well, I, I, can, right. I, can, I can beat that, Julian, but I'm not going to in this instance. Instead, what I'd like to do is concentrate and focus with Janika. On, on, okay, so we, we both spent some time, you more than I, at Nottingham Vet School. What on earth got you into that whole thing? What made you become a vet or want to become a vet? Again, it's, I think it's a very cliche thing. And I think a lot of people before me and I think after me will say the same thing. That it's something that we've always wanted to do since we were young. Um, I probably it came to my radar when I was about eight years old. I was on holiday um, during my summer holidays, went to uh, see my uncle in Canada. Mm-hmm. He's a vet who graduated in India, um, emigrated to Canada. Um, did the impossible task of sitting his nabbies to get his qualifications to be a vet in them in the um, Americas and um, then once he qualified he moved down to America and started working there Um, so he was at the stage where he was studying for um, his exams and I just got really inspired at that age to pursue this career I remember quite vividly he was sitting reading this book I went in and be like oh what are you doing and he started showing me these pictures of these squirrels and explaining me explaining to me what gnawing meant and um, the sort of food that squirrels used to eat and I think since then it really ignited a love of nature and animals in me and I came back home much to my parents dismay saying I want to be a vet and I stuck with it and ran with it and and committed myself down that Route. So, what, so what, why to your parents' dismay? Yeah, well, you're probably going to ask that. One. That's exactly what I was going to ask. <laughs> well, um, I, I'm Indian, and um, I am quite rare in my love for animals in my family, as probably a lot of Asian people out there um, will experience and know of. Um, I think my parents just saw animals more as sort of dirty and pleasant beings that are meant to be kept away to be admired from afar okay some of them some of them just to be completely kept away my mum was scared of dogs and cats my dad was so and so he was born and raised in Africa so he sort of saw animals more in in, in the wild um but yeah it's not just my parents as well my whole family um I kind of was a bit of a black sheep um in in regards to that so they they all yeah, hate animals, which is really sad. It did upset me at certain times in my life. It still does sometimes when they don't share the same love and passion and I can't share my love and passion with them and then they understand to the same extent. But so, yeah, so they still don't? They still don't understand your... No, no. Unfortunately, both of my parents have passed away, but my That's uncle cool. and aunt who sort of adopted me had sort of had the same feelings and as, as do the majority of my family. Um, most of my family are quite... Um, are well educated they've become doctors dentists pharmacists so um I do remember vividly at the end of my first year um when I passed my first year doing exams at vet school uh, we went out for dinner um to celebrate and my aunt pulled me aside and said you know it's it's still not too late to uh <laughs> become a doctor you know I know you've done a year at vet school but yeah. I'm sure they'll be they'll make some allowances for you to you know switch to medicine I was like no I don't want to do that 
I want to do that. I've mm. always wanted to be a vet and I want to do it. Um, so yeah, I, I, I guess part of getting through vet school and becoming a vet was in a way to show my family, look, I, I, I can do it. I did do it. And here I am. So has it made you more determined, do you think? Definitely in the younger years, yes. Definitely. It was a big motivating factor to prove them wrong, that I'm not cut out for it or it's not a good career choice, you know. Um, Yeah, but I think now less so, Um, especially when I've come to the realisation of some of the harsh realities of this profession. It's not all sunshine and rainbows it's not all puppy cuddles and you know cute little kittens um yeah it's 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 a lot of ups and downs Mm -hmm. and I'll be honest there have been some times where I'm like actually were my parents right were my aunt and uncle right is this too hard is this not the career path for me because it's I I think every vet regardless of race color or creed thinks that Mm. pretty much on a daily basis (laughs) yeah yeah are, are you um so you, you mentioned that, that, that not many indians i think that's the word you use not like like most indians they don't like uh, animals or, or they're not animal lovers mm-hmm. um th- does that make you feel quite lonely as a vet that um you you are a, a rare breed treating treating rare breeds uh do, do you feel that, that that the asian community the indian community is very much underrepresented yeah definitely I do think so in in the veterinary profession indeed um I think a lot of it does come from this teaching from generations and generations about the view of, of animals in, in society um especially back in India and then and, and what our ancestors the role that they had with animals um, and a lot of misconceptions as well um, with mm-hmm. regards to animal health and welfare and, again, yes, their, ro- their role in our lives. I do think as times are changing, though, and as the newer generation of the sort of first and second generation, the UK-born um, Indians and, and Asians are coming through, mm-hmm. that is changing. I am noticing a lot more people like me um, coming into the profession, owning animals, you know enjoying the companionship from pets and um, being inspired to work with animals I say not in just a veterinary profession uh, or you know as a vet or a nurse or Mm -hmm. in that regards even if it's sort of going into the equestrian world or into farming things like that I'm seeing that a lot lot more and that makes me happier but there's, there's still a long way to go. So is that is that part of a whole cultural mix? Because we we're in quite a revolutionary period at the moment, aren't we? In in, in so many ways, mm. um, and I know that uh, my partner and I were going to go and work in China for a while, and the initial thought was there's not going to be a lot there. But you then find that the hospital you're going to go and work in has got two MRIs, CT scanner, and people will travel for four hours to bring their cat to you. As as you know, as as a as a Western trained um, veterinary surgeon, so so you're seeing you're, you're seeing a change beginning to happen then in in the way our attitudes and our approaches to animals and animal doctors. Yeah, 
yeah definitely that change and as you already said not only in in the UK and the western part of the world mm. in all parts of the world which I think is really amazing and it's a really good step for um, animal welfare going forward as well generally worldwide yeah, yeah. Um, so, so are, are pets kept more regularly now in, in India do you know yeah, I definitely think they are, especially in sort of bigger cities and, and built up areas and especially as um, it, the country is developing. Um, yeah, more people are keeping dogs and cats as pets. Um, through my Instagram, I've seen and, and had a lot of vets that live and work in India, um, people that want to embark in a veterinary career that are based in India. Um, and I never really heard of that before. I remember speaking to my uncle about it, the one who's a vet in America mm-hmm. now. Um, you know, he was telling me of stories back in the day when he was in vet school in India and it was just so few people, no women, um, so few people. Most of them would go into it for agricultural reasons um, since mm-hmm. that was the biggest industry there um, at that time. But nowadays he he's astounded by the change that there is. Um, and the advancements in animal care over there as well. Because that, correct me if I'm wrong here, Janika, and by all means, just give me a figurative slap. I mean, you're breaking several moulds here, aren't you? Because you've not only got the the cultural differences, you've also got the gender differences that sometimes impact our lives. Not <laughs> him, me or him, because we're, <laughs> we're white middle-aged blokes of a certain age. But <laughs> certainly... For, for for our girls and our, our female students, there's a lot of there's a lot of walls being broken down, aren't there? There are definitely, and um, again, that's something that makes me so happy and proud to be part of this little community. Um, you know, so many of us breaking the glass ceiling, and that shift that we've seen over history in the UK veterinary profession of it being predominantly male um, dominated profession to if now a female. Mm-hmm. Um, dominated profession um I mean there there are still elements of prejudice uh, that I do think women encounter in veterinary mm-hmm. medicine I've I've seen it firsthand you know not too long ago when clients sort of request to see male vets only or you know that they mm-hmm. dote over their <clears throat> the male vets and, and you know don't say anything much about female vets so there, there, are, there are still those undercurrences with any sort of minority group that face these sort of challenges. So there's that, always undercurrents about. But where, where, where does that come from? Is that predominantly the clientele and the general population at large, or, or does that still exist in the veterinary profession? I think it exists still. Not to the same extent, but very, very subtly. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I'm not going to go into any specific details, but I have seen well, examples. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen examples where receptionists would, or other team members would go out of their way for male vets that they wouldn't do that for the female vets. Oh. Um, so I have, I say, I've, I've personally seen it. I really don't think it's to the extent to what it was 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Um, I say mainly with the clients, it's just requesting to see male vets and saying, oh, you know, all that that male vet was rather attractive and dishy. I would love to see him again, which again, I think in itself is quite wrong to just objectify 
male vets in that way and want to see them just because of that. So so this is coming from female clients then, is it? Yeah, yeah. Um, some lovely older ladies I've, I've heard actually say that oh, a receptionist yes, yes. for. Um, again, in some regards I can understand where they come from, but it's still still can be a little bit sour to take that one though keep on requesting the male vets and not wanting to see us. I think I think it is still um a very patriarchal system. Um mm-hmm. which probably is a, a cultural thing anyway, but it's much better than it was when I first qualified. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, much better. Uh, we, I you'd hardly ever hear uh, 25 years ago of um uh of a female vet wanting to buy into a practice on mm. a partner. But by the same token, you'd hardly ever hear of a male vet nurse. And that's becoming a lot more uh, mm. gender equal as well, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It is, so, which is the way to go, I think, definitely. Mm. Yeah. I've got a puzzle, actually, that's occurred to me. You, you probably heard it, but this, um, uh, this doctor is... Um, uh, he's driving along, and, um, and he's got his his son in the car with him, and they have a, a car crash, hideous car crash. They're, they're both airlifted <laughs> to, to different hospitals, um, and the surgeon's called in. And the surgeon says, I, "I can't operate on this boy. That's my son." So, who, who's the surgeon? <laughs> I'm going to put you out of your misery. It's the mum. It's the mum. And you're going to kick yourself for not answering, but we have that ingrained. Think of a doctor. You draw a doctor, it's, it's a man. Yeah. And uh, you're, not, you're not wrong yes. to not get the answer, even though you believe fully yeah. in equal rights in this, and rightly so. But it is so ingrained in our cultural idea mm-hmm. that... Your first thought is, okay, surgeon, well, that must be the father. No, hold on, the father's already. You've, you've already decided. Yeah, yeah. That's what so, I was thinking about. I was, gonna, I was like, yeah. wait, would, would, would that be the right answer? Yeah, yeah. And I, I didn't I didn't ask you that to, yeah. uh, to, to, to tease you or to shame you, but just to show how difficult yeah. it is. Um, here's you, I think, doing an excellent job at um, uh, signposting. What is achievable with, with, with your culture and, and, and mm. your, your uh, gender? But we have a long way to go in society to to break those molds, those traditions, those uh, ideas that we've all built up over over many generations. Mm. The, the subliminal, the subliminal subconscious barriers. Yeah, mm. and I think it's when you have these things ingrained in you from such a young age ever since you're an infant it's so hard to try and unlearn those things and certainly with the journey I've been going through more sort of related to um racial prejudice and racism and and, and gender bias and and um things like that I I'm trying my best to unlearn quite a lot of the things that just Mm. were so normal to think um, and I, I've been thinking those things for so many years and then you know you, you realize one day that actually no this is wrong and I need to unlearn this it, it can be so hard to say 
great, great example was that that question. Like, it's you immediately think, oh, it's a, it's a man, it's male. Janika, um, don't, don't be so hard on yourself. It, no, I, yeah, I, yeah it, it, it was to illustrate the, the, yeah. the general, the general yeah. milieu we're in, which yeah. Yeah. Your, your answer. Um, have you, you talk about racial uh, discrimination and, and abuse. Um, mm-hmm. Is this since you qualified? when you're growing up is it has it been all your life all my life really um it's I have experienced racism firsthand since I was young one of the earliest memories I have of it um I think comes from the back of 9-11 I can't remember exactly how old I was probably between the ages of six to eight um, I remember standing outside of Marks and Spencer's, I was eating an ice cream. My mum just quickly went in to make a return for a clothing item. Um, and I had a group of boys, probably teenage boys, just come up to me and shout, Oi, you, P-A-K-I, go uh, back home. Yeah. I didn't know what that meant. I started crying. My mum comes out, sees me crying, mm. um, you know, tries to comfort me. I didn't understand what that meant. Um, now looking back at it, I do. Um, so that was sort of a, a, an instance of blatant racism that I've experienced. As I've gotten older and as I've, time has gone on, I do think I've experienced more subtle racism um, throughout uni uh, and and certainly in my career I've experienced it somewhat I I know of people who've experienced it much more obviously Mm -hmm. um, and to a much more damaging effect than myself Um, I guess one other example I can recall um, from the top of my brain is um, when I was in final year in fifth year of uni I was in a consult room with um, one of my rotation um, buddies and the vet and two elderly clients came in with their dog the vet just popped out of the room really quickly um, to get something and the man turned to me and said where are you from and I was like oh I'm, I'm, I'm from London no where, where are you really from and I was like oh, oh, here we go yeah so I said well, well, well really yeah. really from the Midlands although you know yeah really from yeah yeah really I'm from Croydon which is you know yeah technically it's got a Surrey you know it's in Surrey but it's got a you know it's a London borough so actually yeah. you know there's a grey area sure but, um, you're, you're yeah. from Croydon yeah I was I was mugged walking home once um and um you know but by by a white person and a that that was horrific enough. Mm-hmm. I I think Mike and I. Oh gosh, we're we're are we fortunate or, or, or what? We we've we've not. I haven't um, had any any racial abuse uh, held at me. Certainly not when I was growing up. And, and you know, white privileged males we, we, we wouldn't do. Wouldn't. I, I can't even imagine the the horror of that to be to be mugged in any case because you may have something they want, some money or whatever, is bad mm. enough. Mm-hmm. To, to be picked upon by being hated when someone doesn't even know you, that's... Mm-hmm. Mm. There, there, there's, there's no punishment that I can think of uh, for these people that would, that would be apt enough. To, I, I, I can think of a few, though. 
I only know Croydon from the examples that were brought into the Mayday Hospital. Mm. Oh, good old Mayday. Uh, yeah, it's no longer called Mayday, though, unfortunately. It's is it University Croydon. Yeah. Really? University Croydon Hospital Mayday is there. Uh, yeah, it's no longer its name, but everyone still calls it Mayday. Yeah. It shows how long ago that was, then, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You used to have the, the worst um, fatality record, I believe, of any, uh, of any hospital in the I, UK. I couldn't possibly yeah. comment on that. Like the highest stabbing wounds. Yeah. Stabbing oh yeah, wounds. yeah. Pro- pro- sorry, not 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 because of this quality of treatment oh, no. there, but because of the, yeah. the nature of the people. Sorry, yes. <laughs> I've actually, well, no, I've, no, I've actually seen that in in the flesh. I ended up in Mayday Hospital as an emergency just because I had um I had kidney stones. Pain was horrific. Ooh, I can empathise <laughs> on that. Yeah. Anyways, whilst I was waiting in A and E, um. I I saw uh, yes a stab wound patient come in, proper bleeding but on his leg, just walking in, and everyone was so calm about it. They were just like, oh, okay, go go over there. They didn't seem panicked at all, which I think was I was just staring aghast. I think it just shows how commonly they probably deal with the issue. And did not that didn't that make you want to turn away from your desired profession of becoming a vet and and go into medicine? Oh, human blood, no. Oh, gosh, no. I can't deal with humans. I say this to my friends uh, who, who are medics, but I really couldn't do what you guys do. Like, give give, give me anal glands, give me cat urine, give me dog poo any day. Human stuff, no. Human human discharges are the worst. Ugh. Of course no. you could. No, no, honestly, I remember in the um, first year of uni when we had um, a human dissection um, session. It was it was optional. You could go and sort of see dissections of hands and feet. Mm-hmm. I went there and I was horrified. I was like, no, I can't do human. Later on that day, we had our dog cadaver that we were dissecting, which was fine. But no, that, <laughs> that really um, freaked me out, the human hands and feet. I, I have to say I find it interesting that... Um... Medics seem to think that they they deal with the the ultimate species on the planet, and vets will tease them, going, "Hey, you can only treat one species; we treat all the rest." <laughs> and and there the twain seem to meet, and yet the physiological and the pharmacological there there are more similarities than differences between all of the species that we work with. I, I want to go back to Janika's time at college. Yes. Because you said it was like a whirlwind, and sometimes it lasted forever, and other times it's it's gone and it's finished. So, yeah. how was college for you? Um, yeah, I well, my university experience I think was the best university experience. I wouldn't trade it for the world. I really miss it. I wish I could go back, um, not do all the academic side again, but definitely mm. the social side of things. But um, yeah, I I really enjoyed the practical elements, um, particularly in the Nottingham course. Um, I enjoyed the community feeling that we had on campus, being part of the campus uni. I did get really homesick um, in first year living on campus because it's it, it, 
Concorded, yeah. <laughs> okay. Concorded. Um, okay. But if you think about it, I'm a city girl. I was sort of born and raised in the suburbs. I'm used mm. to going to the city. I go into London all the time. I'm, I'm used to the hustle and bustle. And then you place me right smack bang in the middle of absolutely nowhere, surrounded by farms and cows. That's what I was going to say. Fields. <laughs> Absolute fields, and then oh, the stench of cow manure every summer. That's what you oh, get. That's, that's what you I, get. For. I, 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 I didn't. I didn't. I generally did not know what the countryside actually was like. I did a few placements in sort of suburban farms. That was it, sort of leading up to university. Mm. So when I got to Sutton Ronington, it was like, what? What is this place? <laughs> And the fact that, like, the nearest supermarket was the co-op, which was a 40-minute walk away. The nearest big supermarket was in Tesco Loughborough, which is, like, a 20-minute drive away. No one had cars then. I'm so used to just going down the road to pop to my local Tesco shop or, like, you know... So Forty minute like, walking Croydon it gets you to Stresham, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> a completely different area. So I was a bit, well, yeah, really fish out of water in, in first year, but I adapted and I grew a love for the countryside, which now none of my family really understands that part of me as well. As I can't, they don't understand you being a vet. They don't understand yeah. you liking the country. What, what else? What else happened? What, what else don't they like? Or understand? <laughs> There's lots about me they don't understand. They don't understand my love for uh, K-pop and K-dramas at the moment. That freaks them out. Ah, ah no, you <laughs> see, Mike and I aren't as old as we look because we both know what K-pop and K-drama is because we looked it up just before you came on. So. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so you, you know a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, so it's become a recent obsession. I, I, Gangnam Style was back in 2012 when I think that's when sort of Korean culture and all that came to, to light mm. in the Western world. But I kind of got into it more recently, about a year or so ago. And I'm never looking back. I only watch Korean dramas now. I kind of pretty much only listen to K-pop music now. And my family and friends think it's so weird and sad, but I get so much joy out of it. And yeah, I just think that their shows are so well done. And the music is just, it's so different when you're, when you're, when you're used to listening to Western music and for the first time you listen to music like that, you are like, what is this? It's just bright electric pop some of it is bubblegum some of it is like proper like heavy you're just like this is just too much but I I got yeah I got sucked into it and now I'm hooked and I don't think I will ever be able to get out interesting yeah so do you have any do you have any views on the repression of the artists by the management companies yes I don't think that that is (laughs) Oh, great part. There is the dark side of K-pop, definitely. Because mm. um, they don't... The, the differences in the way they get into that industry compared to how Western artists start out and, and, and continue in that industry is very different. So mm-hmm. Western artists, you know, you either get lucky, you, you have talent, you, you sing and you get picked up um, and, and you get your career made. Over there, their artists are known as idols. And they have to go through extensive training if they're lucky enough to be picked 
not only to be good at singing, but to be good at, at dancing, at performing um, and be good looking. Um, and they go through vigorous training processes for years and years, years to maybe not even be chosen and um, to then be performed into bands most of the time um, and then be expected to perform. And I do think there there is an element of exploitation to that because mm-hmm. um, a lot of them go into it so young. I think it, you know, you can, I guess you can liken it to a bit like X Factor them on steroids and, and way more intense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do feel like that, that is a really dark side to K-pop. There are certain music labels in the in the Korean industry out there to change that and to be more fairer to their artists. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's still it, it's a huge problem there, um, and it, yeah, it's something that needs to change. Because they they live some of them almost live in a sterile environment, don't they? And that they mm-hmm. they're they're I suppose prisoners is is too strong of a word to use, but. Um, they are... Well, they were accused, weren't they? Some of them of of, of uh, being modern slavers. It it is. It, I think the type history. of contracts they they sign it is very very restrictive. They are allowed a certain allowance. They're not allowed any money at all, or um, some some idols in their training um, years have to you know sign a contract saying they won't date anyone. They're not allowed to date anyone. Um, that, but, that came up recently, didn't it? Didn't one of the K-pop idols actually come out as having a boyfriend, and she got pretty much drummed out of the industry? Mm-hmm, if I remember mm-hmm. rightly. Yep, yep, it, it happened. Right. It's just it's so brutal um, the way that they are seen if they have any sort of dating scandal or seen out with a boy or a girl. Mm-hmm. They immediately get cancelled um i think a lot of that is to do with the image that they that the, the labels and the higher-ups create that this idol is perfect and it should be seen as attainable to their mm. fans right. so in that twisted way that their fans can somehow end up dating them i think it feeds that fantasy um because i think that fantasy get keeps the industry going interesting so what did you listen to before k-pop um <laughs> Mainly sort of R and B, hip hop. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> very, very different vibe. Um, yeah, very different. Yeah, I mean, I still do. I still do listen to it. It's just um, K-pop sort of taken over. <laughs> My yeah. husband says temporarily. He's praying uh, for the day that it stops. So so he's, still in, he's still into R and B and hip hop. Oh yeah, he's still in there, and he tries to like pull me back. But I'm like, no. My, my my poor long-suffering wife uh we have one of those google things that you say you know i, I won't say it but uh, no don't say it because mine will switch on <laughs> go on but you say you know well, whatever whatever google play such and such and whatever i play after two or three iterations it plays real cheese because all the algorithms it knows about me are that i like naff music and so uh, i'd probably if i went and said okay you know, play some play some k-pop now it would and then the one after that would be herb alpert and the tier one of brass and then there'd be demis Roussos. and you know the night would would get better for me but he's, he's very old janika i'll explain to you about demi Roussos <laughs> and these people he's like he's that. That. Yeah. i'm so sorry that's all right i need to apologize <laughs> for listening to demis Roussos. So. 
<laughs> I was trying to illustrate that point. No one listens to the stuff I listen to. <laughs> they did it in the 70s, not anymore. Well, 1870s, so, maybe. <laughs> so is K-drama the same sort of thing? Is it, um, have these people been raised as young neophytes to become actors? Um, not necessarily, no. They're more just sort of actors going through traditional acting school. But you do get a lot of idols, so the artists um, that do mm. act in K-dramas. Um, so they can come in through it that way. Right. right. Yeah, but most K-drama actors are, are sort of the, the standard sort of training mm. process. And, and you can get them on Netflix and things like that, can you? Netflix, yeah, Netflix. There's um, a specific website called Vicky, um, linked with Hulu, um, that just show all types of Korean, Japanese, and Chinese dramas. It's, it's like I mean, other Google. other other yes. streaming services are available. Hey, that's our line. <laughs> <laughs> you can't use that line. And and now we break normal transmission for a little bit of K-pop. Come on, you youngsters, dance along with us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hulu. Okay, Hulu. so 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 take us as as relative streaming virgins who have not heard of half of these streaming services. What would you reckon if we wanted to get into a a, a K drama or a a thriller? Or I've I've heard that they're they're reasonably good, and I think mm-hmm. quite a few people have seen the recent um, was it Squid Game? Squid Game. Yeah, I haven't yeah. seen Squid Game. Oh, I've heard of that. Is that representative of it? You should. I think it's um there are obviously different genres with the yeah. K dramas. That's like a sort of a psychological thriller type one. So if that's up your alley, yeah. definitely would recommend watching. Okay. Um yeah. I watch the sort of soft mushy rom com type of stuff. That's my little niche. Um and one soft that machine. I would... What's soft machine, Janika? Sorry. Soft mush mushy. Oh, so soft, soft mushy. When you get to our age, Janika, you you can't hear too well. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll turn the volume up on the uh, the monitor. It's the wireless transmission. That's the problem. Yes, because I've taken it out as well. Because I get feedback from the loudspeaker thing. (laughs) I've I've taken it. Soft and mushy rom com. And mushy rom com. So one right. I would really recommend if that's your genre um, is Crash Landing on You. It's about a South Korean um, heiress, mobile, who accidentally um, ends up in a paragliding accident and ends up on the other side of the Korean peninsula into North Korea and um, encounters a North Korean soldier. And um, the plot ensues oh. of uh, the task of trying to get her back to South Korea without her being killed, which right. doesn't sound like as, a rom com, but as implausible as it may seem. What's it called then? Crash landing on you. Crash landing, Crash landing on, on, you. on you. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna try some K drama. I might try some K pop as well. Please do. The thing with K dramas, I do have to caveat, is each episode is about one hour to one and a half hours long. And there's 16 episodes. So it's long. It's like watching 16 movies wow. of, the same, of the same thing. But it ends. Oh. It's not like one of those soaps that goes on for seasons and seasons and seasons. Right. It ends. So I love what I love about them is that they go into depth and really also develop the side characters and their stories quite well. Mm. But then there's a nice ending. So it doesn't drag on like 
like EastEnders and Coronation Street sometimes. Though. Okay. I'm intrigued, Janiki. You've, you've, you've piqued my interest here. You're talking about K-drama K or whatever we're talking about there, and you're saying that these episodes are an hour and a half long. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I thought, um, our researcher tells us, that you're into Instagram. Yeah. Where everything lasts for 10 seconds, if you're lucky, before you knew, move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. How do you reconcile those two, or is one a, a a foil for the other? I think that's probably one of the reasons why I also turned to K drama because it's like an hour or hour and a half of me having to focus on something, otherwise I won't get it if I'm not reading the subtitles. Compared to me constantly just scrolling through Instagram mm-hmm. and TikTok, and it you know it being so fast, and and, and you get that instant gratification. Mm-hmm. With with Instagram and, and and TikTok and those sort of social media platforms where you consume um, media so quickly, um, I think it, it it's helped me just to slow down and just stop and be like, no, just focus yeah. on one thing. Um, it's quite, so it's, um, it's that balance. Fair enough. So I, I'm I'm thinking here. So we've gone from ninety minute dramas that fit together in long long sequences to ten seconds. And thirty seconds flash videos for your. See own. where you're going here. Do you? Where, 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 do you where do you think I might be going then, Julian? Would, would, would the next logical step be a sixty-second production of some sort? Yeah, yeah. Because we've it's, got our own sixty-second section of this show. Have Have you come across sixty-second CPD, Janika? I have. Yes. You have. Um, yes. Very. It's very interesting. Some, had some great segments in the past on that. Okay. We we like it because you know when you get to our age, you've got to get CPD in as quickly as you can. No telling yeah. if we'll survive till the next one. Who knows? Absolutely. <laughs> that's that's the important thing for us. So okay. So you've come across 60 second CPD. Yes. Can we challenge you, Janika Patel, to a 60 second CPD? I'll try my very best. Okay. Yay. Fantastic. <laughs> All right. So what 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 subject do you want to do you want to talk about? Um, so subject I want to talk about is microaggressions in the veterinary profession. Okay. That's a pretty heavy thing to mm-hmm. talk about in 60 seconds. I'll give it my best shot, but yeah, give it your I'll best try shot, to condense please. it down. But yeah. All right. Well, that's absolutely fine then. In which case, let's get the magic clock up, shall we? And let's go. Okay. On veterinary ramblings, Janika Patel is going to give us 60 seconds on microaggressions starting now. So microaggression is a term used for comments or actions which intentionally or unintentionally negatively target a marginalised group of people. Um, That could be people of colour, women, people with disabilities or people in the LGBTQ plus community. A recent study conducted by the BVA showed that one in six veterinary professionals face discrimination in the workplace or while studying. And within that, microaggressions play a huge part. Some examples of them include, you don't sound gay, oh it's impressive that you have kids in a career or oh you look so exotic just by themselves they don't mean much to the people who say them but the effect that it has on the people affected by them is massive especially when they're said to us again and again and again so what can we do about them they can be so daunting uh, for people affected by them to tackle 
we fear that speaking out against these comments will alienate us from our peers and I know from personal experience that victims are often told they're making a mountain out of a molehill. I think we all can do better at spotting microaggressions and being aware of the impact they have and I urge people affected and the allies that stand with them to speak out against microaggressions and report them. I also urge people on the other side to listen and believe how painful microaggressions can be for the people who've experienced them and be mindful of what they say and how they say it going forwards. Well, I let that run because I felt that it it ran beyond 60 seconds because it's worthwhile topics to talk about. And I I know there was a report about microaggression in the vet record a few weeks back. Mm-hmm. Um, and for, for listeners, the, the veterinary record or the vet record is um, is the journal uh, of the British Veterinary Association. It's, it's published weekly in the, in the UK, um, and it's and it's a big thing. And I think Mike and I were discussing microaggression earlier, uh, and it's again, it's very very easy to downplay it because in in the culture we were raised in, microaggression is is a daily routine of banter. And banter for, for for Mike and myself is fun. We we tease each other, we mock each other, we're we're blatantly rude to each other all the time. But the point you're making is that actually there's a difference between banter between equal standing of cultures, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And and between minorities, oppressed groups, people who are by their very nature, uh sensitive to those aggressions mm-hmm. and by sensibility to put down that you know they're uh, you know, more sensitive than they ought to be I don't, they're, I don't. They're, vul- they're vulnerable to these to these microaggressions and that then harms them uh, and that's awful to think that that, 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 that that goes on commonly because it is common isn't it it's, it's most of the time for for a lot of, uh, a lot of people it's common and also, I think, to some extent, subconscious. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of people that say these things don't realise they're saying it or the actual double meaning behind it, um, which I think can be, as I said, it, it it's hard to identify and to tackle um, because of that. Because, you know, if, if someone's like, oh, when people ask me, oh, where are you from? and they say you're where you, where you from originally some of the people can just generally be curious like what what in my story is they uh-huh. don't mean any harm or malice behind it but some people do as I said intentionally or unintentionally and um, some people do and and I sometimes take it the wrong way because it makes me feel are they questioning whether I'm I have a right to be in this country mm. you know I'm, I'm born here I'm raised here but it just makes uh. me feel that they wouldn't ask um my, my white friend the same question uh. well you had that awful experience when you were eight uh with yeah. the boys outside the shop didn't you and so yeah yeah not really surprising that, that that you'd be um sensitive to these statements um mm-hmm. is there do, do you think there's a culture that that can't be changed in this generation or do you think it is something that the that people can be made aware of and will uh strive to to to, to think before they speak yeah i think the latter that we we can try to unlearn those subconscious traits um mm-hmm. where possible and 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 try to be more mindful of what we say 
how we say it. I, I have had people say to me, you know, well, well then you're oppressing our free speech or why do we have to think about everything that comes out of our mouths? I'm not forcing you to, you don't have to, but this is my experience and this is how I felt when people have said these things to me. We all go on about being kind and, and you know, treating others as we'd like to be treated ourselves. So if if some people who've said that to me, I say, well, you've asked me my thoughts and feelings. This is how I feel and, and these are the experiences I've had. Mm. I I would advise you and I want you to learn from it and not say the same things to other people like me but it's up to you at the end of the day to to learn that to do more research on that to reflect um, on it on yourself and make those changes um I am seeing people do that but yeah yeah I think it must be quite brave to call people out on this sort of thing do you actively call people out if they say something like that I try my best to okay because that takes a lot of courage it Mm. does and sometimes I don't have that courage and Mm -hmm. I've become more courageous as I've gotten older Mm -hmm. certainly when I was in younger when I was in university I wouldn't say anything I wouldn't speak up now I do start to call things out I I call I find myself calling people out that I'm familiar with who I know Mm -hmm. so my my work colleagues my family my friends I still struggle um with calling it out to to strangers sort of clients and members of the public I still find that quite uncomfortable that can be quite dangerous Um, yeah Yes, yeah. yes. And, I, and also, yeah. I suppose you're thinking, well, I don't want to alienate this client. I don't want to make them think, oh, you know, she, she's bristly. I don't like her as a vet anymore because she's no. she's made me look small and stupid or made me look mm. racist or made me look a whole heap of things. But but there must be some way of, of letting people know. Maybe people watching this uh, podcast will, will, will think... Mm. Uh, I'm going to think about what I say in future. I'm, I'm, I want. Yeah. To, I, need to, I need to ask you this, Janika, because you said calling friends and family out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really important, and I think that's a good place to start when you're unpacking these things and having those realizations yourself. I think it it, it starts sort of grassroots up, like you've you've got to then call these things out in environments that you're comfortable with to start off with and then work your way up to mm-hmm. calling people out in, in general and mm-hmm. I've that's how I've started doing it oh. and um yeah I've called out family members that have made racist remarks and viewpoints during the Christmas dinner table um I've called friends out for remarks that they've made about certain races or, or certain minority groups um yeah I think that's really really important to do Hmm. Interesting. It is interesting, isn't it? I mean, there's so much, and there's a real, uh, real can of worms that, that you've opened up there. Oh. Um, I mentioned teasing and banter, and I think it's important to. Yes, yeah, so you can stop saying I'm a fat old bloke now. <laughs> and leave the baldness. <laughs> and leave Sorry, the baldness, baldness out. Was that baldy? Couldn't hear. What did you say? Yeah. But hmm. there's a certain amount uh, of of joy and uplift of, 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 of the soul that comes from from harmless and from friendly banter mm-hmm. and it's difficult isn't it to to divide that a lot of it's cultural a lot of it is generational and what an older person may perceive as a joke 
maybe completely mm. horrific uh, and and uh, denigrating and, and racist and, and all these awful things to, to to the to the subject of that mm. uh, innocent remark. And you, you said, didn't you, that, that that a lot of them are are unconscious? Um, yeah. And I think a lot of us. I say a lot of us because I'm sure that I've made these sort of comments uh, because I'm of that generation. Um, and a lot of us will be horrified to know that we we're causing any offence. And so I think it is as important for for people to point out that that they find something offensive uh, as it is for the person who's told that to not take offence that they've caused offence, if you see what I mean. Uh, we should be able to to take that judgment. We should be able to say, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean like that. I won't say it again. I'm really sorry about that. And 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 then move on from that. Mm. Rather than bloody hell, God dear, another dude good really doesn't like me saying anything. Because that's the sort of thing you get, isn't it? Quite a lot. Oh, also, also cancel culture. We can't say anything these days because actually someone's going to take offense or whatever we say. So I might I may as well just not make any humorous remarks. So there's, there's got to be real give and take. And the take has to be, I think, from the people who make these comments in good faith, not aware that they could be causing mm. the offence. And the, the, the give has to be the brave people like you who say, do you know, I hope you made that as a joke, and I'm sure you did, knowing you, but, but really not cool to say that. Yeah. Mm. No, you've hit the nail on the head there, Julian. It's, um, yes, you know, if, if we all were to police what we're saying, it wouldn't be a great and fun world that we live in. But you've got to, if, if what you say has caused offence to someone, believe that it has caused offence to someone. Mm. Try not to raise your hackles up and be like, oh, well, they can't take a joke or, you know, mm. it's not my problem Absolutely, that you're offended. Yeah. yeah hear them out and 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 reflect mm. on it and try to do better next time mm. um, yeah. there you can. and i think i think probably more important in the veteran profession than than the than the wider populace because actually we've spoken a number of times haven't we mike about mental health mm. within the profession and the fact that as a profession uh we, we we're number one aren't we we're number one in the suicide rates number one in the uh, the mental ill health uh, stakes and we really need to be mindful of that and the fact that if someone is already feeling stressed, fragile, vulnerable, suffering from imposter syndrome, all, all these sort of things, then it may not take an awful lot just to, to alienate them further and tip them over the edge. So I think um, it's very, very important that we have, we have that mutual respect for each other, enough to be able to say, do you know, I didn't like that. And the other person to say, I'm sorry. Yeah. And anyway, you've got less hair than I've got. Yeah, Mike, I knew it was going to come back to that, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy, I love that 60-second CPD. Even though it was 90 seconds, that's absolutely fine. It was absolutely fine. It's an important message to get across. I think you you hit the, the nail on the head there. But Julian, have you got a CPD certificate? I have. I have got a CPD certificate. Oh, and, okay. it's, and it's printing out even as we speak. Oh, right. Okay. Oh. Because I printed it out earlier. That's exciting. 
here we go. Hot off, hot off the press. We have here certificate of improved integration. Oh, okay. And it says okay. this certifies we should all just get the fuck on with each other and leave petty rivalries, xenophobia, and meanness behind, and respect each other. And okay. there's, there's a few pictures, a few meaningful pictures. So here's, what we got on here then? Here's a fossil. What, like and, and you and me? And that's what those people are, like us. Yeah. We are fossils because we don't understand the new ways and we need to be taught. And you can teach a dog new tricks because if we don't, there's going to be a car crash. So here's a big car crash. Here we go. Okay. And the other the other side is something we haven't quite got onto yet because you gave one of your interests as food. Oh, yeah. Now, when I, when I write... We love it, food. We, we do. We, I'd die without it. I really would. But now maybe we should segue on 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 from from that certificate, uh, which I think was well deserved. Thank you very much, Janika. You you you've, you've educated you. us, well. and we should really get on with each other and just respect each other because that's in the whole world what what we all need. We're sort of at that time of the evening, unfortunately. Mm. And much as I'd like to talk about food, maybe we'll talk about it after we finish off. How's that? Yeah. <laughs> so, but I have to say, Janika, thank you so much for joining us on Veterinary Ramblings tonight and educating us and thank sharing you so much. Or sharing your experiences with us and, uh, and our audience. And uh, I think everybody will very much enjoy that. And well, so, thank you so much, Janika. You, you've really um, educated us in, in a huge way tonight. And it's been very lovely. Much. It's a real pleasure to meet you. Very, yeah, very much. Lovely so, to meet so. you too, guys. Thank but you. All, all it beholds us to do. It's a raise it, raise a glass. Well, my, my ceramic mug now. I've got a bottle. Oh, you've got your bottle there. I've got my bottle of water. Excellent <laughs> stuff. Well, may your dog go with you. May your dog go with you. May your dog go with you. Cheers. Cheers. And cut. <laughs> Yay! There we go. Yay! There we go.